are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I am reading and reflecting on the Mystical City of God by Venerable Maria of Agreda, a four-volume, over 2,500-page work. And after you're done listening and reading today, if you would like to discuss the reading, I invite you to go over to Facebook and to find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast Facebook group where you can discuss with other listeners and readers whatever insights you gained from today's reading. Today is day 33, and we are reading from Book 1, Chapter 17. We'll pick up where we left off yesterday, 258 to 264. And he said to me, Write, for these things are most faithful and true. And he said to me, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. According to our way of speaking, God was deeply grieved because the great works of love performed for us in the Incarnation Redemption should be so much forgotten, and as a remembrance of these great benefits, and as a satisfaction for our ingratitude, he commands them to be written. Therefore, men should write them in their hearts, and should begin to dread their offense, which they commit against God by their gross and execrable forgetfulness. Although it is true that the Catholics believe and trust in these mysteries, yet by the contempt which they show in their want of esteem for them, and in their forgetfulness, they seem tacitly to repudiate them, living as if they did not believe them. Protesting against their foul ingratitude, the Lord says, For these things are most faithful and true. Let the torpid and listless mortals in their sloth and listlessness understand that these words are most faithful, as well as most powerful, to stir the human heart from its torpidity, as soon as they become fixed in the memory, pondered, and revolved in the mind as the most certain truth. For God has made them true for each one of us. But as God does not repent of his gifts, Romans 11.29 and does not retract the good which he confers, even if man makes himself unworthy, he says, it is done, as if he wanted to say to us that although by our ingratitude we have offended him, he will not turn back from his course of love. But having already sent into the world the Most Holy Mary, free from original sin, all that pertains to the Incarnation is already an accomplished fact. Since the Most Pure Mary was now on earth, it appeared impossible that the Divine Word should remain in heaven and not come to earth in order to assume human flesh in the womb of the Virgin. And he assured us again, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, including the perfection of all things. For if I give them a beginning, it is for the purpose of raising them to the perfection of their ultimate end. This I will do through Christ and Mary, commencing and perfecting in them all the works of grace. In man I will raise and draw all creatures toward me, as to their last end and their center, where they shall find repose. To him that thirsteth I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that shall overcome shall possess these things. Who among creatures shall presume to give counsel to God? Romans 11.34 Or who shall give so much to him to oblige him to make a return? So the apostle, wishing to make it understood that all that God does or has done for men was of his free grace and not through obligation toward anyone. The source of a fountain owes nothing to him that drinks from its stream. Freely and gratuitously it flows for all that approach 
and that all do not partake of its blessings is not the fault of the fountain, but of those who do not approach, for it invites all to partake of its joyful abundance. And if they do not seek it, it issues itself to seek such as will partake, flowing on without ceasing, in order that freely and without reward it might offer itself to all. O most reprehensible dullness of mortals! O most abominable ingratitude! If the true Lord is in no way obliged to us, and if he has given and gives all out of liberality, and if he has even exceeded all his graces and benefits by becoming man and dying for us, thus giving himself to us entirely and letting flow the stream of his divinity, until it meets our human nature and unites itself with us, how is it possible that we, being so desirous of honor, glory, and delight, do not hasten to drink from this freely flowing fountain? But, well, I see that cause. We do not thirst for the true glory, honor, and happiness, but we seek only for the apparent and deceitful ones, despising the fountains of grace which Jesus Christ has opened for us by the merits of his death. Isaiah twelve three. But to those that have thirst after the divinity and its graces, the Lord promises that he will give freely of the fountain of life. Jeremiah 2.13 Oh, what a great sorrow and pity it is that having discovered the fountain of life, so few are thirsting for it, and that there are so many who run after the waters of death. Those that conquer the demon, the world, and their own flesh within themselves will certainly possess these things. And it is moreover said that he offers them. For it might be doubtful lest the waters of grace might at some time be denied or withdrawn. Therefore, in order to assure us that they are offered freely in our possession, without limit or restriction, over and above the Lord hastens to certify all this by another assurance, saying, I shall be his God, and he shall be my son. And if he is to us a God and we are to him as sons, it is clear that we are made to be sons and being sons also heirs of all his goods. Romans eight seventeen, And being heirs, although all our heirship is that of grace, we are made secure of our inheritance, just as children are secure in the inheritance of the possession of their parents. As he is father and God at the same time, infinite in his attributes and perfections, who can estimate the goods which he offers us in making us sons? Therein is included the paternal love, our preservation, our vocation, our enlivenment and justification, all the means thereto, and finally our glorification and the state of happiness, which neither eyes have seen nor ears have heard nor ever entered into the heart of man. All this is destined for those that conquer and have shown themselves true and courageous children. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, they shall have their portion in the pool burning with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. On this formidable roster, innumerable sons of perdition have written their names of their own accord, since infinite is the number of the foolish who blindly have chosen death, blocking up for themselves the path of life. For this path is not hidden to those who use their eyes, but only to those who willfully close their eyes and who have allowed and are allowing themselves to be fascinated and deceived by the fraudulent tricks of Satan. According to the different inclinations and tastes he proffers, then the poisonous cup of vice, after which they seek. The fearful are those who continually hesitate and thus fail to taste of the manna of virtue and never enter into the pathway of eternal life. 
to whom virtue appears insipid and burdensome, though the yoke of the Lord is sweet and his burden is light, Matthew 11.30. Deceived by this fear, they are overcome by their cowardice rather than by the difficulties. Those other ones, the unbelievers, neither admit the truths are revealed nor give belief to them like the heretics, pagans, and infidels. Or if they do believe them, like the Catholics, it seems as if they heard them from afar and only through the faith of others, not giving full assent to the evident truth contained therein. Thus, they hold but a lifeless belief, and they live like unbelievers. The abominable are those who follow vice without distinction, without repentance or limit, and rather boast of their wickedness and contempt, making themselves hateful to God and drawing down his wrath and curse. Thus they arrive at a state of rebellion and become incapable of works. They draw away from the path of eternal life, as if they were not created for it. They separate and become estranged from God and his benefits and blessings, objects of disgust to God and his saints. Likewise are mentioned the murderers, who without fear or reverence for the divine justice usurp the right of the supreme Lord, the sole governor of the universe, and presume to chastise and avenge injury. These deserve to be treated and judged according to the same measure which they use in treating and judging others. Luke 6.38 The adulterers are excluded from that kingdom, since for a short and impure pleasure, which is abhorred as soon as it is attained, and yet in its disorder is never satiated, they despise the friendship of God and the eternal joys, which on being tasted are more sought. The sorcerers, likewise, who believe and testify to the false promises of the dragon, hidden under the cloak of friendship. They are deceived themselves and so perverted that they can deceive and pervert others. The idolaters cannot enter heaven, for they seek after and feel the presence of the divinity and do not find it, though he is in all our surroundings. Acts 17.27 They ascribe divinity to the works of their own hands, which are only inanimate shadows of the truth and empty cisterns totally inapt to suggest an idea of the grandeur of the true God. Jeremiah 2.13 The liars also, who, standing in opposition to the highest truth, which is God, are deprived of his rectitude and virtue, occupying the opposite extreme, confiding more in fraudulent deceits than in the author of truth and of all the good. Of all these, the evangelist says, he heard the sentence, Their portion shall be in the pool of the fire, burning with sulfur, which is the second death. Nobody can complain of divine justice and equity, since he has justified his cause by the greatness of his benefits and numberless mercies. He descended from heaven to live and die among men, and rescue them by his own life blood. He opened up vast foundations of grace, which are freely offered to us in the Holy Church. In addition to all this, he gave us his mother, in the foundation of her most holy life, through which we may attain it. Therefore, mortals cannot excuse themselves, If, in spite of all these gifts, they have not made use of his grace, and if they have abandoned the inheritance of the eternal life in the pursuit of the momentary delights of their mortal life, no wonder that they have harvest that which they have sown, and that their portion shall be in the terrible abyss of burning brimstone, from whence there is no redemption, nor hope of life, when once the second death of punishment has overtaken them. Although this second death is infinite in its duration, yet more wicked and abominable was the first death of their sin, into which they voluntarily precipitated themselves, for the death of grace caused by sin is opposed to the infinite sanctity and goodness of God. It offends him who is to be reverenced and adored. 
The death of infernal pains is the just punishment of these damnable souls and is the equitable retribution of his most unerring justice. Thereby, this justice is exalted and proclaimed in the same measure in which it was outraged and despised by sin. Let it through all the ages be feared and adored. Amen. This concludes our reading today from The Mystical City of God for Day 33. We read from Book 1, Chapter 17, Paragraphs 258 to 264. This chapter of Revelation 21 is one that I always kind of had in the back of my mind. I had neighbors growing up that were Jehovah Witness, and I had a liking for things of religion from a very young age. And these kids, you know, were very evangelical in the sense they wanted to share what it was that they believed. And they gave me little pamphlets, like I said. And I never forget that one time they said that Revelation 21.8, liars go to hell. And I've always had that committed to memory. Revelation 21.8, liars go to hell. And we've heard that today that about who it is in that fire and that abyss. And we heard it today at the very end of our reading that murderers, adulterers, liars, etc., that there is this vision that they are in this pool of fire. And so that's why those neighbor kids told me Revelation 21.8, liars go to hell. It was directly right there. Our reading today is all about those who really live a life of apathy. And that's another verse from Revelation, or what has been referenced sometimes as I've been reading the Apocalypse, um, Apocalypse 12, I might say, or something like that. So there is this phrase in the book of Revelation that God doesn't want lukewarmness. You're either hot or you're cold. You can't be lukewarm. You have to choose. And today in our reading, we kind of get a little taste of that lukewarmness, in a sense, that uh, Maria Vagarda is writing and saying, Although it is true that the Catholics believe and trust in these mysteries, yet by the contempt which they show in their want of esteem for them, and in their forgetfulness, they seem tacitly to repudiate them, living as if they did not believe them. Well, that's kind of lukewarmness, isn't it? That we come to know something, that we're taught something, and then we choose. We say, I embrace this teaching or I reject it. We can think about some of the modern teachings of the church today that some have embraced and others live their life. Oh, did the church really say that? I'm going to pretend like they didn't. I don't want that to guide my life. And so this, again, we talk about examination of conscience. We need to examine our motives. We need to examine the different aspects of our life and our faith life, our life with God, and determine whether we are living as if we don't believe them, that we live what we believe, that we put into action what we profess, that we proclaim it by our mouth, that we live it by our life. There is this analogy Maria Vagrida uses. The source of a fountain owes nothing to him that drinks from its stream. Freely and gratuitously it flows for all that approach. And that all do not partake of its blessings is not the fault of the fountain, but of those that do not approach. For it invites all to partake of its joyful abundance. Well, it's not the fault of God if we're not going to that fountain. It's our fault. We need to partake. We need to drink from that stream of life-giving water that the Lord Jesus wishes to offer us. And then we make the segue then into choosing sin. 
But while I see the cause, we do not thirst for the true glory, honor, and happiness, but we seek only for the apparent and deceitful ones, despising the fountains of grace. That sometimes we don't choose what's good for us because we desire something else. Go back to the garden. God says, don't eat from the tree, this tree. Eat from every other tree, but not the not this tree. And what do they do? The serpent convinces them to eat from that tree. And so sometimes we think something looks so good when it's really not good. We want to pursue that which is good, to turn away from sin, not to choose it, to, again, live our lives not indifferent to the gospel, but allowing the gospel to inform everything that we do in our lives. Again, Maria Vagreda writes, For this path is not hidden to those who use their eyes, but only to those who willfully close their eyes and who have allowed and are allowing themselves to be fascinated and deceived by the fraudulent tricks of Satan. We want to walk on the path of God. We want to have our eyes open and to see how the good Lord is leading us. Don't allow the trickery of the evil one to deceive you, but allow the gospel of Jesus to guide every action of your life. The very end of our reading today, after talking about choosing sin and who could be in these fires of hell, and just remember, too, that nobody is sent to hell because God sends them there. They have chosen hell by the very life that they've lived. Nobody can complain of divine justice and equity since he has justified his cause by the greatness of his benefits and numberless mercies. We can't complain of divine justice when we've chosen it ourselves. And that's why our reading today ends, Thereby this justice is exalted and proclaimed in the same measure in which it was outraged and despised by sin. Let it through all the ages be feared and adored. Let us strive to live lives that are pleasing to God. Let us not be lukewarm. Let us not be indifferent. But let us embrace all that this holy Catholic faith offers us and how it wishes to guide every day, every step of our life. I am Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I am reading from the mystical city of God. I am grateful that you've joined me today, and I hope that you'll tune in again tomorrow. May God bless you today, and Mary pray for you.